0: Uh, I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to say, Jesus. Jesus. Okay, why are we here this morning? Jesus. Jesus. Who's the Lord of all the earth? Jesus. Why are we going to heaven? Jesus. Amen. Isn't it great to shout his name? Amen. (laughs) All right, you guys can have a seat. Uh, We're going to show a short video. As you know, Chris and Sarah are over in Slovenia. And uh, today, I think it's just cool to remember that, you know, there's believers every every all around the world doing the exact same thing we're doing here this morning and uh do we have that video pulled up is that and uh, as you know Chris and Sarah over there they uh, really just felt led to um, go check out the work the Lord was doing uh, through Sean and Christina wordba and I know something Chris shared with with all of us is that he just really wanted to encourage them be an encourager to them and and he, and some of you guys know this but I just want to let you guys know that your prayers have been a great encouragement to them, to the Word of Boz, and they've been been able to encourage tons of people. But also, I know Chris and Sarah have been very encouraged by others when they've been over there. So your prayers are making a difference. Um, and just know that our praises are being sent up with people all over the world this morning. It's pretty cool. So Lord, we thank you so much, God. We thank you for the opportunity to come here and worship you this morning. We thank you that. You came to this earth and shed your blood for us that we might have fellowship with you, that we might live with you forever in heaven. We might have our sins forgiven. And uh, we just want to lift up our prayers to those of our brothers and sisters in Slovenia uh, as they're worshiping, as they're following you, as they're preaching the gospel in that place to um, bring others to the knowledge, saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Thank you for our pastor and his wife, um, for their faithfulness. Lord, I was just saying this morning, I can't believe Kritz gets up here every Sunday to do this. (laughs) But, uh, Lord, he's just faithful. You've called him to this ministry. You've equipped him. And we are so grateful for him. And uh, I pray for, we all pray, Lord, together for a great blessing um, uh, for the ministry that he's engaged in over in Slovenia. And just an encouraging and refreshing time for him and Sarah over there when they're gone. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. So. Some of you know me. For those of you that don't, my name is Eric, <laughs> and uh, believe it or not, I'm an elder here at the church, and I'll be serving as uh, our Bible teacher this morning. Um, I was just talking to a, a brother yesterday, and and uh, he goes, "Oh, well, if you," he goes, "Are you doing announcements tomorrow?" And I go, "Well, no, I'm actually teaching tomorrow." He goes, "Oh, really?" Well, he goes, "Well." If if you do, if you do as good teaching as you do in announcements, you'll be fine. And I go, oh, I'll well, praise the Lord, man. It's, it's not me. He goes, oh, no, no, I know it's not you. I mean, I know you. I know it's the Lord. <laughs> I'm like, well, yeah, okay. Fair enough, you know, right? <laughs> um, but, uh, I have had the distinct honor of leading a, uh, a, men's Bible study here at Coastline for a number of years. And, uh, we pretty much do the same thing. By the way, Uh, if there's any men in here who'd like to take part in that it's open to everyone it's a tuesday morning at six o'clock and it's just a great time to get up early in the morning the bible has a lot to say about rising early and we just go through the words systematically book by book chapter by chapter verse by verse and just uh, try to apply the word of god to our lives as men what that means for us uh the bible study is at the annex and then on the first tuesday of every month it's at the pig and pancake we all get together and have breakfast and hang out and and seven eleven 7-Eleven Harbor Drive in Warrenton. Sorry. If you, need, if you want more details about the men's Bible study, you can talk to me or talk to one of these guys with a name tag uh, kicking around here. And we'll get you hooked up with that. But uh, anyway, so we've been going through the Bible, you know, verse by verse, book by book. And um, the last book we landed on that I really felt the Lord was leading us to go into was the book of 1 Corinthians. And the last time we met, we finished up... Uh, Chapter five, and so this morning we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter six. So we're just, just really felt the lead just leading leading us to just continue on where, where we've been at. And so something that Pastor shared with me a long time ago is that when you're teaching the Bible, um, for those of you that are Bible students, there's three important things you want to try to figure out. Is the first thing is what did the whatever passage, whatever section you were in, whatever chapter it might be, what did it mean when it was written? Okay, that's what you want to figure out because it had one meaning when it was written to who it was written to in the context, culture, all those things. So what did it mean when it was written? Okay, now what does it mean now? How do we translate that to modern day? And then the third thing is how do I apply it to my life? So what did it mean then? What does it mean now? How do I apply it to my life when you're studying a section of Scripture? And this book has been such a blessing because it's a. it was originally a letter written to a church in the city of Corinth. And it was a church full of people who had been saved. They've been born again. They've had their sins forgiven, but they were screwed up. <laughs> they had questions. They had problems. They had doubts. They had fears. They had shortcomings. Right? And I know, you know, none of those things really apply to us because I know we pretty much have everything figured out and all together. But you know, just theoretically, if we you know had any kind of problems or you know uh, divisions or anything. This is a great book to go through because you can just read it and pretty much what it meant then is pretty much what it means now. And it's and it's written to a body of believers. So it's pretty easy to apply it to my life. I can just read it and go, I don't have to you know graduate from seminary to know what this means for my life. And so it's been a great blessing to just go through that. So we're gonna try to we're gonna try to go through and chapter six is one of those chapters where it's just like okay, I think I, I think I know how to apply this to my life this morning. So that's my prayer. That has been my prayer is that we would just be able to read uh, and know what it means for us. Okay, so uh, just a really quick um, background. And by the way, um, if you guys need a Bible, there's some guys, we have Bibles in the back, and there's some guys here that are going to hand out some Bibles, pass out some Bibles. You can just raise your hand up. Um, and I just really encourage you to have a Bible in front of you and reading it. There's power. Scripture is powerful. The Bible says that it's living and active and that, you know, it's great to listen to the Word of God. It's great to read the verses up on the board and stuff, but there's something powerful about having a Bible in front of you, reading it for yourself, knowing how to navigate your Bible, where to find what books and what sections in it. And so uh, I just really encourage you to, uh, whether it's on your device or a regular Bible, just, just have the Word of God in front of you to read it for yourself. And so, as I said earlier, this is this book of 1 Corinthians. It's just one of 66 books that makes up what we call the Bible. Um, was originally a letter written to the church at the city of Corinth. And um, the, city, the ancient city of Corinth was situa- situated in uh, modern-day Greece, and it was right along some major trade routes. So I think of a city like Portland. You've got I-5 going right up the middle, Columbia River going this way, and it was sort of like this meeting place for. It was like an economic hub, and so just like Portland's really big, um, you know, all these places grew, things were flourishing, um, and there's a lot of people going through there. And wherever there's a lot of people, there's a lot of sin, right? And um, the Apostle Paul finds himself led there by the Holy Spirit on mission to preach the gospel in the city of Corinth on his second missionary journey. And uh, the Apostle Paul stayed there for a year and a half, and it says in Acts chapter 18 that many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And so this marks the birth of the church in Corinth. Like there was people who believed in Jesus, and that's, what's the church made up of? Is it a building? No, it's the people. So when people got saved, there's a church there, amen? Amen. Eventually he leaves, and in 1 Corinthians chapter seven, we from verse one we know that uh, the church in Corinth actually wrote a letter to Paul, maybe more than one, actually asking him questions about the Bible, about the Christian faith, about well, what do we do in this situation? How do we figure this out? You know, so they had questions for Paul, and uh, this <laughs> this letter is a response to those questions. He was he was just trying to answer their questions, and actually, he doesn't even get to their question until chapter seven. So the first six chapters are like an introduction. But uh, and so far, he's covered basically divisions in the church, spiritual pride in the church, um, their lack of spiritual wisdom, lack of spiritual maturity. He's corrected them in certain ways, corrected some sin in the church for the uh, correction of that one person who is in sin, but also for the protection of the rest of the body, which brings us to chapter 6. And um, this, he addresses basically another form of division here, where evidently there was some uh, case in the church where another believer had sued uh, another brother in the church. So there was people that were actually had such uh, quarrels or dissensions between them that they had... You know, filed a lawsuit against them. You know, took them to small claims court or whatever. I, I don't know exactly, but, um, and Paul is here addressing this and uh, correcting them on this. And, you know, this last week or two, I've been kind of praying about, like, you know, what, Lord, what do you want us to focus on in this section? And I was trying to be really cool, like Chris, and, like, have, like, a three or four point sermon. I was like, okay, here's my first point. Here's the second point, you know, da, 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 da. But yesterday, last night, actually, I felt like the Lord was saying, "That's just lame. Your points are lame." Um, <laughs> and what, what I really want, what I really want to show you, me, and the rest of us, is perspective. Uh, I feel like the Lord and the Apostle Paul, and the Lord, the Holy Spirit, through the hand of Apostle Paul, is trying to give us some perspective on what's important. Does anybody like to hunt or be in the outdoors, go hiking up in the mountains or anything? You ever notice that you like you see a ridge or something really far off and you go, that's not that steep, I think I can hike up there and do it? Like, yeah, it looks actually not too bad a terrain. And then you get right up to the bottom of it and you look at you. Like, wow, that's a lot steeper than I thought. <laughs> it looks a lot different from a different point of view, doesn't it? Because your perspective is different. Your point of view is different. And I think that's what the Lord is trying to show us here with the things of this world, our possessions our reputations, maybe the, whatever it might be that's physical, worldly. And then he says, I want you to have the right perspective of those things, but I also want you to have the right perspective of the things of the kingdom of God, the things of heaven. And so, um, I know it was a long introduction, but let's just read it. Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we're going to go through verse 8. And also, you can have a finger in Matthew chapter 18, Because we'll be going there in a few minutes. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 1... Sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. And Lord, as we just dive into this section this morning, uh, I pray that you would open up our understanding in a way that no Bible teacher or no commentary could do, but by your Holy Spirit, you would open our eyes, you would lift the veil from our hearts and show us what you want to show each one of us this morning. We thank you so much for the, that your word does not return void, that you are a faithful God, you're a loving God, and you have nothing but our best interests in mind. And so be with us in this time, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Okay, so first, before I get into what he's talking about. I'd like to touch on really quickly about what he's not talking about. He's not talking I don't think he's talking about here is criminal law. If someone is involved in some kind of, you know, say somebody murders somebody, we're not going to have a trial here. At church, we go, oh no, no, don't don't go to trial, don't go to the police, we'll handle it in house. No, that's not what he's talking about here, okay? Or any kind of uh, criminal issue that that might come up among believers. And Romans 13 talks about this. It says, let everyone be subject to the authorities for the th- authorities that exist are instituted by God, and whoever resists those authorities are resisting God. And that those authorities that are in place are actually God's minister for your good. And Paul himself, even which we're learning on uh, typically on Sundays, uh, going through the book of Acts, Paul himself even appeals to the court systems, right? The worldly court systems of the leaders and judges and all that. He says, I appeal to Caesar, you know. And so um, there is a time and a place, um, especially in criminal activity, criminal cases, where, yeah, we have to, we can't just handle it in the church. We can't just let the brothers decide. it. But no, it goes to the authorities that have been in place by God. And so I I don't think that's what he's talking about here. Another thing that I don't think he's talking about is uh, dissensions or grievances between believers and non-believers. So say, you know... Someone who's not a believer in Christ, doesn't come to church, hates God or whatever, has some grievance against you or, or has done something to wrong you. Um, it's not like we're going to call that guy up and say, hey, we'll come down to the church and we'll, you know, we'll just, we'll work it out. We'll, we'll work it out in love. He's going to be like, I'm not doing that. No, that's, that's, that's not because they just, Paul says here uh, in the chapter before, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. You, someone who's not born again, someone who's not a believer, cannot understand, cannot accept the things of the spirit. So, I don't think he's talking about believers and non-believers. Um, but I will say this though: Romans twelve tells us that, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. I don't know if that's the right uh, scripture reference, but I know the Bible says that somewhere. <laughs> so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Right, believers or non-believers, whether we're interacting with someone we know from church or whether we're interacting with someone who's not a believer, someone just out in the world, we're to live at peace as long as it depends on me, as long as it depends on us. Amen. And so um, should we sue that person if they wrong us? Well, I don't know. That's That would be probably, I would say, on a case-by-case basis. Um, I don't think this scripture would prohibit you from taking legal action against a person like that, but I think it takes a lot of just discernment and, and prayer to say, you know, is this the right thing to do? Is this the right way to love this person who's not a believer? but what he's talking about here I believe is, is pretty clear in the in the text is that <clears throat> if a believer has a grievance against another and in this case it was someone in the same church, so how many of us here have ever had a grievance against someone in this church? No, I'm just kidding you don't have to raise your hand <laughs> uh. <laughs> But this is what he's talking about here, right? And it it happens. And the first point he makes here, right out of the gate, is you guys are overqualified to judge disputes in the church. That actually was one of my original points. If you want to write it down, that'd be cool. But he's saying, look, you're overqualified to judge these disputes between one another. And what I like about right in verse 1, the first word, what's the first word there? When. When. You think he'd say, you know, if you have a grievance against another, da da da, da, da. No, he says, when? Because it's going to happen, right? We're imperfect people, aren't we? <laughs> he says, when you have a grievance another one. He says, how dare you go to law? Do you dare go to law before the unrighteous? Before people who don't even know the Lord? Before people who aren't even saved? And in verses 2 through 6, he kind of goes through here why that uh, we're overqualified to judge these disputes, why we don't have to take them outside the church to let someone else judge them. Because evidently, uh, the saints, and just a reminder, who are the saints? That's us, right? That's believers in Jesus. It's not just someone who's, you know, been saved for a long time, or he's a really good Christian, or he does a lot of good works. Man, he's just an angel, man, that guy's a saint. No, but uh, the old uh, preacher J. Vernon McGee, he had a saying, you're either a saint or an ain't. You're either saved or you're not. If you put your faith in Christ, you are a saint. Amen? Amen. Amen. So he says uh, that the the saints are going to judge the world. The saints are going to judge angels. Well, what the heck does that mean? Does that mean in some way, shape, or form that we, the saints, are going to judge the world? Just a couple scripture verses here for you. Daniel chapter 7, verse 22. Excuse me. It says, he's speaking of the return of Jesus. And, uh... The the time of judgment, uh, when he comes back, it says, Until the ancient of days came, and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High. And the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. So evidently, in some way, shape, or form, when Jesus comes back, there's going to be some kind of authority, some kind of judgment given to us to judge the world. Uh, Revelation 20, verse 6, says this, Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection, that is us, who are believers in Jesus. Over the second... Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ. And here's this little verse. They will reign with him for a thousand years. So there's going to be this thousand-year reign of Christ where we as believers in Jesus will rule and reign with him and evidently have some sort of authority of judgment. Um, And then we know, of course, uh, we remember in Matthew 25, like the parable of the talents where there was the uh, the guy that gave his servants, you know, one talent, five talents, ten talents. He says, oh, if you've done this, here, you've been faithful with what I gave you. I'll set you over five cities. The other guy said, you've been faithful, I'm going to set you over ten cities. He's given these servants of his positions in his kingdom. And in the same way, I believe that we are going to have positions of authority and judgment. I don't know exactly what that means, but we know from this verse here in 1 Corinthians... In some way, shape, or form, we're going to judge the world. Um, Also, he says, you are going to judge angels. Uh, Psalm chapter 8, verse 5 says this, You have made him a little lower than the angels and crowned him with glory glory and honor. You know, we have been created in the image of God. Yet, we've been created a little lower than the angels in terms of rank in the spiritual and heavenly places, evidently. Um, And so, angels were created a little higher, but nowhere in the Bible does it tell us that angels were created in God's image, though we were. And we know from Hebrews chapter 1 verse 4, the mission or the purpose of angels is to serve us. Well, that's kind of weird, isn't it? It kind of takes me off guard a little bit, but it says in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 4, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? So, evidently, angels were sent to serve us in some way, shape, or form. Those who will inherit salvation. And I believe that, um, so we know that Satan, who was originally Lucifer, and uh, he was created as an angelic being by God. And he was in heaven with God. He was one of the most powerful and beautiful angels. And um, I believe that Satan, in his pride... And in his jealousy, when he saw, he was starting to see things unfold and he was starting to go, man, you want us to serve them? You've, you've, you've created them lower than us. Why should I serve someone lower than me? Wait a minute. They're going to inherit eternal eternal life. <laughs> you created them in your image yet. I'm not created in your image I believe that in his pride and in his jealousy, this I suggest to you this could be one of the reasons why he rebelled. And because um, he didn't want to be judged by someone who was a lower being. He didn't, he didn't, he wanted that. And then in Isaiah 14 tells us, he says, I'll be like the Most High. I'll be like God. I'm not going to serve somebody else, you know, lower than me. And in his pride, um, he rebels and God casts him out of heaven. And Sometimes I wonder, you know, why why does Satan have this... And the word Satan just means adversary, accuser. Why does he hate us so much? Like, what's his big deal? Why can't he just, you know, just leave everybody alone? Like, why, why does he have this hatred? And I believe that it could be that for every person that he drags to hell with him, and that's one less person that's going to stand in judgment of him on that day. And he wants... If he had his way, he would take all of us to hell so that we would be separated from God, that we wouldn't inherit that eternal kingdom to rule and reign with Christ, to sit on judgment seats one day and judge these fallen angels. Because he knows that if there's no one there to judge him, well, then he gets off scot-free. But we know that's not the case, right? Because Revelation tells us that he will be judged and he will be cast down. Amen? The point he's trying to make here is... We are going to be entrusted to helping judge some of the most important judgments in the universe. Does that surprise some of us? Does that make you kind of think about like, wow, I'm going to be in heaven making some kind of judgment? That's that's pretty heavy. We're going to judge the world? We're going to judge angels? Oh my goodness. In the kingdom of God? If we really think about this, it makes things of this life seem kind of trivial, doesn't it? what car's sitting in your driveway, what your house looks like, or maybe what that person said about you that you really really didn't like. It's like, man, these are, these are small issues. I did a quick uh, Google search, searching for silly lawsuits, which there are scores of them. But uh, one that caught my eye was actually close to home in Portland, Oregon. A certain Alan Heckard... Of Portland, Oregon, had often been confused for Michael Jordan, and he did not enjoy it. He sued the NBA star, along with the co-founder of Nike, Phil Knight, in 2006 for 832 million dollars. Apparently, when he rode city buses and taxicabs, he'd be walking down the sidewalk. People would mistake him for Michael Jordan all the time. You're my, are you Michael Jordan? Can you sign this? You know, and he he got so tired of it that he filed this lawsuit. Hecker's looks were not far off from the basketball legend and he even sported a similar earring but he was eight years old and six inches shorter than Jordan. Hecker dropped this hilarious but true court case when he realized he had no reasonable explanation for the 832 million dollars he was suing for <laughs> So there's this guy hey man you look like me and I don't like it. I'm gonna sue you I'm taking you to court should be good for about 832 million yeah. Does that make sense to you? <laughs> now, just imagine, okay, imagine this court case, you're a judge. Imagine yourself as a judge, maybe at the United States Supreme Court. So imagine the highest level, the most respected, the most prestigious, well, maybe it's not the United States Supreme Court, but... I don't know what it is, but imagine the most qualified judge, the most prestigious court, the the people who are like, these guys are definitely going to have the wisdom to figure this out. They'll get this hashed out. And this case comes before him. And he goes, oh, wow, this is heavy. There's a man that looks like another man, and he's suing him for it. I don't know if I'm going to be able to, I just don't know if I'm qualified to judge this. I don't know if I can handle this. But I know who can. Let's send it down to, uh, let's send it to, I know, Clatsop County Circuit Court. They'll be able to figure it out. <laughs> I have nothing against Clatsop County Circuit Court, but I'm sure there's a lot of great judges down there. But wouldn't that be ridiculous? A, a case that is silly like this before someone who's qualified to judge and they say, ah, can't do it. Let's send it to a much lower level. This is the point that Paul is trying to make here. He's saying, look, this is ridiculous. This would be ridiculous, right? You guys have grievances against one another? You guys have disagreements with one another? He goes, you are qualified to make these judgments. You are overqualified to make these judgments. I like in verse 4, does anyone have the uh, King James Version? The old King Jimmy? What's it say? (laughs) Mm. Yeah, he says, uh, set them to judge who are least esteemed. He goes, take the take the people who who you think are maybe the newest believers in Christ, who have the least amount of knowledge of the Scriptures, who have the least experience in judging anything. He goes, take those people, or who you think are the least esteemed. I don't know exactly what that means, but he goes, take those people and set them to judge over it. Because those are the guys, they actually have more ability, if they're born again and have the Spirit of God, they're more qualified to judge those cases than these unrighteous. These people who are in the courts who you think you're going to get justice from, take the least esteemed and set them to judge over you. That's crazy, huh? And even the least esteemed saint is a better judge than an unbeliever. Do you believe that this morning? Sometimes that can be kind of hard to believe, huh? But this is what I believe is part of the perspective he's trying to show us. What qualifications we have been given by the Holy Spirit amen <clears throat> then he says uh, he says this is there no one wise enough there there's really is there no one wise enough to judge this and this would have been particularly uh, a particular dig against the first Corinthians because they were very proud of all the wisdom they had and oh we're very wise and we know this and this and this and Paul says that's cool but you don't even have anybody there wise enough to judge these cases. And then I like the uh uh as he moves into verse seven and eight, verses verse seven actually, to have a lawsuit at all with one another is already a defeat for you. He says, uh anybody here been involved in a lawsuit? You don't have to raise your hand, it's okay. (laughs) But when you know when you get challenged in in court, even out of court. Somebody challenges you. Somebody say, "Hey, I'm gonna. We're gonna have this conference. We're gonna figure this out." You want to win, right? It's like I'm gonna win. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go into this. I'm gonna get all my stuff together, and I'm gonna win. Paul says, "Look, you guys have this disagreement. You're going in to win." He goes, "Look, you go into court. You've already lost. You, you're already defeated." Guy told me a long time ago. I'll never forget it. Um, not a Christian, but he said this. Uh, the only people that win in lawsuits are the lawyers, and uh, and I didn't know it then, and by the grace of God, I've never been sued, and I've never sued someone else, um, and I don't mean to make light of these things. I know there's a lot of heavy, heavy stuff that we have to deal with in this life, but I've watched enough of these things happen to people that are close to me, the people that I love to know that is true the only people that win are the lawyers and i know some lawyers and attorneys that i love very much who i know love the lord and i don't have anything against attorneys or lawyers i'm grateful for them i'm thankful for them but when you're in some kind of dispute with someone it's so true and this is what paul says he goes you go to court you've already lost you might say well man i understand what you're saying and i get it we've you know it's no good to go and but my thing, this thing that I have, this deal that's going on in my life with this person, it's a big deal. I mean, we have got to, there's got to be some kind of way to work this out. Do I just, so you, what are you telling me? I just, I just have to grin and bear. I have no recourse. Like, there's no way to hash this out, you know? And I would direct you to Matthew chapter 18. And uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. I thought I had it marked, but I didn't. Matthew 18 is about right there in your Bible, in case you don't know. (laughs) I've always liked that. Okay, and starting in verse 15, he says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault, between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Let's stop there. So we've, uh, and mind you, these are the words of Jesus. He gives us some some instructions to uh, how to approach someone. He says, if your brother, okay, is someone who's a brother in Christ, someone who's part of the church. He says, if your brother sins against you, go. Talk to him. And in a culture that, I guess this is my opinion, but we have really devalued face-to-face conversation, interpersonal uh fellowship, communication, where we all we all do it um, because it's easy, but everything's electronic now. Well, I'll send him a text. Well, I'll write him an email. I'll Facebook Messenger him. you know, this and that. And uh, we either don't go to this person or we just don't do it at all. We forget. What I'm trying to say is sometimes we forget the value of just looking somebody in the eye and talking to them face to face saying face-to-face, toe-to-toe, man-to-man, woman-to-woman, saying, hey, uh, this thing you did offended me. You know, let's let's talk it out. Let's work this out. Um, we go to a leadership conference in Corvallis every July. Um, and one of the things last year, actually the whole, kind of the, a lot of the thing we talked about last year was conflict resolution, conflict resolution in the church. And especially pertaining to leaders of the church because... If you guys don't know, maybe you're newer to church. There's plenty of conflict in the church, <laughs> but one of the things he was talking to, talking about was um one of the pastors stood up and was talking about this, and he goes, "I'm going to share some advice with you. Never, ever, 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 ever." Never when you're trying to resolve conflict with someone don't ever try to do it over text message. Don't ever send them an email. Don't ever throw it on Facebook market or not marketplace, Facebook Messenger or marketplace. I don't know, maybe someone's done that. I don't know. <laughs> but this word that Jesus uses here, he says go. Tell him his fault. And this Greek word go I lost my place here. It says, uh, hypago, it says, withdraw, depart, go one's way. It literally means, get up off the couch, turn the computer off, and go to your brother, and tell him his fault. Alone. That's right. That's the next little detail. So, he says, get up, go to your brother, alone, one-on-one, not in a group, not to humiliate them, or whatever, or whatever, you know, whatever, thing other agenda you might have but these are the words of jesus he says go tell him his fault between you and him alone if he listens to you you've gained your brother i've done this to people who've offended me and i've had people approach me who i have offended who i'm sure are even more numerous than i can even imagine but let me tell you a simple face-to-face conversation is so valuable and, I, and in my experience, 99.9% of the time, you'll gain your brother. he will work it out. You'll go, hey man, you did this thing, you said this thing, what's up with this? And, be like, and he might say, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, I didn't realize that, I didn't mean to do that. Oh, will you forgive me? Of course I forgive you. Amen. Or, he'll say, well, yeah, I said that because well, you did this and you said this and dot, 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 and you know, I was just, I was kind of wondering about what the deal was and, and this happened to me before I go. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I'm I actually am in the wrong. So when you work it out, when you hash it out with somebody, sometimes it just shows you that you're actually in the wrong. <laughs> and there's just such great value in this. I just can't understate this. I love the words of Jesus here, how he instructs us to do this. <clears throat> okay, so say it doesn't work. It escalates to the next level. The next sequence or chain of events he says in verse 16 of of Matthew 18 but if he does not listen take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the witness of two or three witnesses okay so he flies off the handle like oh that's that's crazy you're 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 nuts you know I didn't offend. I didn't do anything to sin against you okay grab some brothers or sisters who you know to be solid in the lord who know the scriptures who you think would be good to he just says bring what does he say verse 16 take one or two others along with you so get the opinion of some other people get together with that person and uh, one of three things is going to happen either those two people will come they'll hear both sides and they'll go yeah man you're in the wrong yeah you I mean what you did was was messed up you shouldn't have done that and they'll say yeah hey, okay well if, if these three or four people are telling me this then it must be true if this person wants really wants to, um, is seeking after truth and knowing what the truth is. Or what might happen is these other two people, they look at me or, or you, the one who's bringing the charge, and they go, I don't know, man, your case really isn't that airtight. I think you should just forget about it because you're in, you know, you screwed up here too. And this person, I mean, you guys need to just work it out. Or... Or again, he'll fly off the handle and say, you're wrong. I'm in the right. I didn't sin against you, even though with all these witnesses saying this person's in the wrong. Then he says, take it to the next level. There's another sequence of events here in verse 17. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be as a Gentile and a tax collector. So he says, look, if if this person truly has sinned against another person, If he really is in the wrong, according to your witness, according to the witness of two or three others, tell the church. It just says church. I don't know what that means. Does it mean we get up on stage and go, hey, this person did this. We're going to tell it to a whole body. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe it means there's a certain group. Maybe it means bring to the church leadership. Let the leadership decide and say, you know, sort of mediate, judge the matter, as he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And at that point, again, you're either going to have reconciliation or rejection. And he says, if this person still will not listen to all these people who have judged by the word of God, according to the spirit of God, to what's true, to what everyone's agreeing. It's not just one person deciding, but it's this group of people judging. If they still persist in their sin and they're persisting and saying, all oh, you are wrong and I'm right. What's he say? Again, I lost my place. Let him be as a Gentile and a tax collector to you. He don't hang out with that guy anymore. He your relationship, their relationship with the brothers, I like to think of it this way. The relationship with the brethren, brothers and sisters in the church, it's a certain type of relationship. But their relationship with the Gentiles or tax collectors, it was different. It was a different kind of relationship, wasn't it? And I think at that point, if there's someone who has gone against godly counsel, who's in sin. Um, our relationship changes with that person. We don't fellowship with that person in the same way we would have as before. I like this verse in Second Thessalonians 3.14. It says, If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, in other words, if anyone doesn't want to obey what the Word of God says, take note of that person. Have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed And do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. So we have this person who's just has sinned against another, won't listen to anybody else. He says, don't have anything to do with that person that they might be ashamed. Because when you continue to fellowship with him, oh, yeah, well, I know you've sinned against this and and all these people have judged against this, but, you know, it's okay, bro, man. Yeah, it's all good and this and that. And does God's grace cover our sins? Yes, it does. But in order for the blood of Jesus to cover our sins, we have to repent of our sins. We have to confess our sins. We have to turn back and say, I agree with you, God, that is sin, and I turn away from that sin. And we receive the forgiveness of Jesus from that point. And if this person is not willing to repent, we say, hey, I love you, man, but I'm warning you, dude, you should, you, you should repent. You should change your mind. You should turn back to God. And if enough people do that, they're going to be ashamed, right? They're going to go, man, I'm not enjoying the security of the body. I'm not enjoying the blessing of church, of worshiping with the brothers. Maybe I was wrong. Maybe I should repent. See, the point of them being ashamed is not just to shame them. Yeah, we want to. You better be ashamed. No, it's because we want them to be restored. God is a God of restoration. Amen? Amen. And so this is kind of a sequence of, you could say, conflict resolution between the brothers. Very practical. I was uh, praying this week about uh, how to illustrate this. Um, and uh, I was putting a cylinder head on an engine in a grapple Cat, And the first thing you do when you replace the cylinder head or replace the head gas is you, gotta, you, pull, this, you pull the service manual out. Okay, there's a certain sequence of order of things you have to do. Right, you have to use the right gaskets, the right seals. Don't you? You know, some 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 gaskets you put sealant on, some gaskets you don't put sealant on, or else it'll ruin them. Okay, you got to put it all on there. You do it wrong, and it's going to ruin the work. Then when you start torquing down the head, cylinder head I was working on has eighteen bolts, and there's a certain sequence. Every bolt is numbered in the service manual. Every single bolt has a number on it: one, two, three, four, five, six. And there's a little sequence. that bounces all over the cylinder head. And you torque each bolt down to a certain torque at a certain time at a certain sequence, in order for everything to seal properly the way the metallurgy works. And I don't know how it all works, but I know the manufacturer says do it this way, or it ain't going to work right. And when you don't, <laughs> when you don't when you don't have the manual, and you don't go by the sequence, it turns. What can be, you know, a relatively simple and inexpensive job into really expensive. It can turn a $1,500 job into a $15,000 job or a $25,000 job because the work you did was no good. You did it wrong. It ruined the parts. You have to do it again. You've got lost time. It's just a mess. So it's not worth it to try to bypass a manufacturer's sequence of how to torque that cylinder head down. And in the same way, I was just, as I was, Working on this thing, the Lord just just showed me this. Like, I just wonder how many blown-up relationships I've had because I didn't follow the right sequence. How much time or money or lost sleep or vexation I've been cost because I just didn't do what the Bible said. And I wonder how many of us have been here. The Lord is speaking that to you right now. But uh, Jesus said, those who... Hear those words of mine and do them, will be like the man who built his house on the rock. And when the storm comes, the house won't fall down. But those who hear those words of mine and doesn't do them will be like the man that built his house on the sand. And when the storm comes, great will be the fall of the house. We have to, if we want to be walking in the blessing of God, we have to do the Word of God. Amen. We have to be doers of the Word. And so follow the sequence that Jesus lays out for us here. Conflict resolution. You say, Well, I'm a non-confrontational person. I just don't do that kind of stuff. I just ugh it just bugs me. I really just can't. I'm like, like, really, you don't understand. Like, I can't just confront someone like that. It's just too much. Maybe you say, Well, my attorney told me I can't talk to him. <laughs> he said, Do not talk to them. It's bad for you. Okay. You know, that's it's cool the Bible says that, but there's just things in my situation where I just can't. Do that listen I'm not saying that uh, you shouldn't listen to to your attorney or that you know your fears of confronting someone are not real or they're not valid but I will say this sometimes we're really quick to listen to other other things sometimes we're really quick to listen to our feelings we're really quick to listen to maybe our attorney does say I, you better, I I counsel you not to talk to that person and sometimes it might be wisdom not to talk to that person okay I'm gonna I'm not gonna camp on this one. But can I just say that, uh, you know, the first influence in our life should be the Word of God. It should be the thing that we run everything else through, you know. <clears throat> and if you say, well, I can't, I can't do that. I can't go talk to that person. There's ex- extenuating circumstances that you just don't know about. This is a big deal. I can't talk to them. Well, I have good news for you. You have another option. And I believe this option is actually a really great solution to any conflict for any person in any context, anywhere, at any time. And that is this. Some of you are like, okay, I'm I'm listening. (laughs) Uh, Verse 8. Oh no, sorry. It's the end of verse 7. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? (laughs) Well, that doesn't... That doesn't sound very good. (laughs) Right? I don't know if I like that. But this is the other option he offers. Forgive the person. Say, yeah, that person wronged me. That person defrauded me of my goods. The person owes me money. The person blew up my reputation. But you know what? I'm just going to take the wrong. I'm going to be defrauded. I'm going to forgive them and know that God is going to judge all things righteously and my reward is in heaven you know there's a story uh in first samuel verse 24 it's a story some of you guys are familiar with it but saul was chasing david and uh he was wrongfully trying to murder him david had done nothing wrong saul was a crazy lunatic and david was running around living in caves <laughs> and uh And he's like, I'm going to kill this guy David because Saul knew that David was going to take, was anointed by God to take over the throne, to take his spot. And he didn't want that. And so, uh, Saul is answering nature's call in this cave. He goes in to relieve himself. Well, little did he know David was back in the back of the cave and David's men are like, dude, there he is. Kill him. Here's your chance. Kill him. And David couldn't do it. David, but he cuts off a corner of his Saul's robe. And later on, Saul comes out of the cave. David chases him out of the cave. And by the way, he confronts him face to face. Hey, Saul. I got to turn to it here. Why are you chasing after me? He says this. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. And then this verse right here has been very helpful for me in the past. And I pray that it would be helpful for you. He says this. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you but my hand shall not be against you. David knew that he was in the right. Saul was in the wrong. Saul was sinning against David. And he goes, I'm not going to put my hand out against you. May the Lord judge between me and you. (laughs) And uh, what I like about that is it just puts God between you and your adversary. It just commits judgment into the hand of God. The other thing I like about this is that you go, yeah, he's going to judge that person. That person sinned against me. But when I think about whatever, whoever, you know, whoever this person might be who's sinned me or I feel has wronged me, and myself standing there face to face, I imagine God in between us. And those words come in, out of my mouth or that thought comes in my mind, the Lord judge between you and me. I think about the Lord judging between me and that person. And it causes me to examine my own heart, it causes me to examine my case. My side of the story. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Before the Lord judges, let me uh, let me just make sure I still want to make this case. Let me make sure I still want to bring this before the Lord to judge. Because sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I'm like, no, I don't think so. I don't think I want the Lord to judge. That's okay. I'm going to just, I'm just going to let it go. Because that's true sometimes, isn't it? When we examine our own hearts, sometimes our case isn't so airtight, is it? So I just, just want us to remember that. Let the Lord judge between me and you, whoever... Uh, you might have this confrontation with. And doesn't Jesus even talk about this? He says, look, if someone sues you to take your tunic, give him your cloak also. Or to take your cloak, give him his tunic, give him your tunic also. If someone forces you to go to a mile, go two miles with him. Someone slaps you on the cheek, turn your other cheek. Do not revile when reviled. And sometimes, like, I'm... I'm certain there's situations in the room right now where you're like, huh, "That's a cute little story you just shared, Eric." But uh, you don't know my situation. You don't know what's happening with this deal I'm in. You know, maybe it's with a husband or a wife, even. Maybe it's with a coworker. Maybe it's with someone from another church. I don't know. Maybe you're like, "Man, every last penny I have, every asset, is gone or will be gone because of this." I'm not trying to make light of this. But again, I think God would want to give us some perspective on what really matters. And in verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 6, we'll go on. Verse 9, he says this, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters nor adulterers nor men who practice homosexuality nor thieves nor the greedy nor drunkards nor revilers nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Last week a brother from the church called me and you know, I called him, I can't remember what. We were talking about something, and he goes, Oh hey, I didn't see you in church last week. And were you at church? I go, No, I wasn't at church. And I go, I was sick on Sunday, I didn't go to church. He goes, Oh, well, what what the heck did you do to get sick? And jokingly, I was just like, I don't know, there's probably some kind of sin in my life or something. Or the Lord, you know, gave me gave me this affliction. And he goes, well, I'm certain of that. And I go... And I just thought, it took me a split second to think about it. And I go, yeah, it's true. There is sin. And, you know, we all sin. First John says, he who says he has no sin is a liar and the truth is not in him. But he who confesses his sin, God is faithful and just to... Forgive him of his sin and cleanse him of all unrighteousness. Amen. (laughs) So we're all sinners, right? Positionally, we're righteous before God. But progressively, we're still being sanctified. We're still being renewed. We're still being changed, conformed to the image of Jesus. So we still sin sometimes. But um, this list here, I believe, is speaking of the person who their life is characterized by sin. They're engaged in the practice of sin. You know, someone who maybe steals something. And they go, oh, Lord. And they're convicted. And they go, I can't believe I did that. I've been a Christian for, Christian for 20 years. And I, I, I'm a thief. I stole. That's a sin, right? And then they repent of it. They go, oh, Lord, I repent of that sin. I turn from it. And I ask for forgiveness. And God forgives them. God forgives us of that sin. But the person who steals something and says, I'm a Christian. I go to church on Sunday. That's all right. And they steal stuff today, tomorrow, the next day. And they keep walking in that. They go, I don't know. It's just kind of the way God made me. And, you know, I just steal stuff sometimes. That person will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, what are you saying, Eric? Are they, are they going to lose their salvation? I don't know. Maybe. I would suggest to you that maybe they weren't even saved in the first place. It doesn't really matter whether they were saved in the first place or whether they're going to lose lose their salvation. I don't really know. It doesn't say that. But it says whoever walks in these things, their life is characterized by these things. They practice these things in an unrepentant manner. These people will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I think this gives us some perspective on why it's okay to take the wrong sometimes. Because that person... Who thinks is getting away with it? You go, I can't, they're going to get away with You mean I just take the wrong and let them get away with it? They'll just get off scot-free and whatever. Nope. <laughs> they're not getting away with it. That sin will either have been appropriated to the cross when they repent and are forgiven of it, or they'll have to pay for it themselves. But they will not get away with it. And in the same way, it gives us some perspective, too. It turns around things on us, too. Verse 11. Paul gives perspective to the believers here. And such were some of you. (laughs) But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That's another thing to consider. Well, this person wronged me. They sinned against me. They did this and that. And... Yeah? How many people have you done that to? <laughs> oh, well, we weren't really talking about that. I mean, you know, we're talking about this person, you know. Maybe there's something on that list that you're walking in unrepentant today, that I'm walking in and unrepentant today. And I'm so quick to point the finger at someone who sins against me. But I look at this list and go, whew. I have to examine my own heart and go, Am I gonna inherit the kingdom of God before I start accusing my brethren of what they're doing? It gives us some perspective of what's really important. You know, even if heaven forbid, you lost every penny you had to your name. <laughs> I don't think I think when we get to heaven, I don't I don't think it's gonna matter much because of just the greatness of who God is and how much He has saved up for us and ready for us the glory of just being with him and being in his presence. Amen. Sometimes for myself, just for myself, I need this type of perspective to just lift my eyes a little bit higher. I'm focused on my business. I'm focused on, you know, money. I'm focused on what this person's doing that and this person's doing that. And well they did it. if it wasn't for them then I could have done da da da. da, da, da. And I'm focused on things of this world. And the Lord just kind of reminded me, maybe he's reminding you, like, can we just change our perspective a little bit? (laughs) Like that high ridge that looked one way from a distance, and then you get up close to it and it looks different. I have this, I wrote this down this morning, right at the top of my notes. It says, be magnified. What if the Lord Jesus was magnified in our lives? What What if Jesus was made bigger? You know, we sing those songs like Lord be magnified and then on Sunday and then on Monday we're like live," and we're all tore back because of whatever. Well, what if Jesus was magnified on Monday morning if we had a different perspective on what really matters? So we're gonna wrap up here. And as the worship team comes up, um, I just want to share one last point, and that is that Jesus suffered wrong. For you and me, You say. Well, why is that so? Why is that such a good idea for me to just suffer wrong, just take the wrong, just be defrauded? And that's because Jesus suffered wrong for you and me. Isaiah fifty-three, that speaks of Jesus in verse seven. It says, "He was oppressed, he was afflicted; yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that's led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that's brought, that is before its shears is silent. So he opened not." his mouth. Did you know that Jesus was wrongfully accused? Everything he was tried for at his trial, which was illegal by the way, it wasn't even it was just false witnesses. It was a it was totally everything was unfounded, illegally, illegally, wrongfully accused. And he was beaten, humiliated, spit on, punched, beaten nearly to death for stuff he didn't even do. 1 Peter 2 says he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. And when he reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He took the wrong for you and me. It was because of our sin. He was taking the punishment that our sin deserved. And as, as they were putting him up on that cross, as they were nailing the spikes in his hands and his feet, he didn't threaten, he didn't revile, he didn't say, it was. you're the reason this is happening to me. If you wouldn't have done that, if I wouldn't, you know, if you hadn't said that, then I wouldn't be up here right now. no. But what did he say? He said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. They know not what they do. Are you oppressed? Are you afflicted today? Has someone sinned against you? It's really easy to revile and threaten and cast blame, isn't it? But I would suggest to you, that to be like Jesus, we would suffer wrong. We would take the wrong. We would be defrauded. And just like it says, I love that verse in First Peter 2. It says, he kept entrusting himself to him who judges justly. What if, we just, what if I just entrusted myself to God and said, I'm just going to trust you, Lord, because you judge justly. May the Lord judge between you and me. God, may you judge between me and him. And we just trusted God. That's radical. You know that the uh, fundamental part of being a Christian is to be like Jesus. Again, we sing these songs, right? I want to be like Jesus. You know what it means to be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus right up until the point I have to suffer wrong. And then I'm like, I don't want to be like Jesus anymore. Sometimes, sometimes we just need to in faith, be like Jesus. And that's, that's his will for us to conform us to his image. And if you're a Christian here this morning, maybe you're in a situation like this. Maybe you're at a crossroads of, man, maybe I just need to go talk to this person. Maybe I just need to go, maybe I need to get two or three people to come hash this out with us. Maybe the Lord's telling you, I just need to take, maybe the Lord's telling you, you just need to take the wrong. Because Jesus took the wrong for you because he lived a perfectly righteous life. He died on that cross And rose from the grave proving that everything he said and did was true. And that's for you. And his will for you is to be like him. Maybe you're not a Christian here this morning. Maybe you are drugged here by your mom or your girlfriend or your dad or boyfriend. I don't know. And you're like, man, I don't know about this stuff. I don't know about taking the wrong. I don't know what this guy's talking about. But this is crazy. Can I tell you that our sin is a sin against God? Just like you've had people sin against you and be like, that guy did this thing to me and he wronged me. Our sin is high treason against God. Your sin is high treason against God. But he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, as a man to this earth to live and die. Live a perfectly righteous life. Die a sinner's death for you. The Bible says there's without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin And Jesus' blood, like that song we sang about earlier, Jesus' blood is what cleanses us, is what washes us. And I believe it's not an accident you're here this morning. It's not an accident you're listening online. I'm here to tell you that there is life after death, that you will live after you die eternally, either in a place separated from God and everyone else called hell, or you'll live in a place in the presence of God, with the blessing of God in heaven. And it doesn't take... And you can, if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you can do that right now this morning. You can become a Christian right now this morning. It doesn't take years to become a Christian. It doesn't take months to become a Christian or days. It takes a moment. It takes a moment to become a Christian. All you have to do is pray a simple prayer. And uh, I'm going to lead us in a prayer in a minute. But I just want to share one more verse. And that's Mark chapter 1. When Jesus started his ministry, it's verse 15, he said... The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And that's just a simple message from Jesus, from the scriptures. But it's a simple message I want to share with you this morning. If you're not a believer in Jesus, it's his will for you is to go to heaven and be with him. His will for you this morning is to repent of your sins. That word repent just means turn back. It means to recognize the stuff I'm doing, the stuff I'm thinking, the stuff I'm saying. It is sin. I am wrong. And I turn from that sin. It's the idea of turning from your sin and turning to God. and say, I'm a sinner. But Lord, I believe you. Please save me. And the gospel. Repent. Number one. Number two, believe in the gospel. What's the gospel? It just means good news. The bad news is you're a sinner. Your sin separates you from God. And you're going to hell. That's the bad news. (laughs) The good news is Jesus lived died rose from the grave and offers us this free gift of eternal life what do you do with a gift when somebody gives you a gift what do you do you You thank him for it, and you receive it you don't pay for it you don't go well maybe come back in a week or two a couple years maybe i'll receive that no you just say awesome thank you and you receive it and that's the same way salvation is from our lord As he offers it to us freely and all we do is say lord i receive it so if you haven't done that uh i invite you i invite all of us let's just all just bow our heads right now and pray You just repeat after me. Lord, I know I am a sinner. And thank you that you came to die for me. I repent of my sin. I turn back from my sin. And I turn to you now. Thank you for your blood shed for me. And I receive the free gift of salvation. Thank you for sealing me with the Holy Spirit. Help me to follow you. Help me to know you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you pray that prayer for the first time this morning, you are now a Christian. You now have your name written in heaven. Amen. And, you know, we were just at a, I was just at a men's conference yesterday. And, man, had some great Bible teachers there. I'm talking like some really great Bible teaching. Okay, I'm not even going to mention their name, but just just to sit under the uh, teaching of the Word of God and just take it in and let the Lord just speak to my life. And then the last guy that got up, he goes, hey, we're just going to, oh, we're just going to pray. We're going to cry out to God. We're going to lay hands on each other, which is just a, a point of contact in faith to receive what God has for us. And in the back of my mind, I was like, Share my feelings with someone. I don't want to cry. Come on. Let's just get this over with so we can leave. And then he goes, hey, I I just want all the pastors, all the lead pastors to come to the front. I want you guys to pray for people. I'm like, yes, don't have to go up. (laughs) And he goes, okay, uh, I just want all the men's ministry leaders to come to the front so you can just pray for people. I'm like, well, we don't really have an official men's ministry. I don't know if I really need to go up. He goes, okay, if you're an elder at your church, I just want you to come out. I'm like, dang it. <laughs> but man, I'm telling you, I went up front and that time of response was my favorite part of the day. I didn't want to do it. You know, it feels weird. We're like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go up. But I'm telling you, I got to pray for some guys and just praying for them, the Lord was just such, just encouraging me through the Holy Spirit I can't, even, I can't even explain it. It's something really you have to experience. And that's what I'm going to encourage you to do this morning is respond to the Lord. I know right now that in the back of you're going, this is stupid. I'm not doing this. But some of you have a heavy burden on your shoulders. Some of you have a heavy burden on your heart. Would you just trust the Lord this morning and respond to him? Maybe it just means raising your hand. Maybe it means standing up. Maybe it means tapping the shoulder of the person next to you and, and saying, man, I need prayer sharing your burdens with them. I don't know. If you pray that prayer to accept Christ this morning, I'm going to encourage you to tell somebody. Tell somebody here and now. Tell somebody when you go home. Get up. We're going to have some prayer people around the room here as the worship team plays their last song. Get up and tell one of them, I just accepted Christ. I want prayer. I don't even know what for her. I don't even know what this means. Just, I want, to, I want to meet with the Lord. Trust the Lord this morning. I would just encourage you to respond to him. this time because I know yesterday when I did that and then there was you know everybody was kind of getting done and people were filing out and I saw some guys over there that were leaders and I walked over and I got prayer from them I go would you guys just pray for me and I didn't even tell them what for but the spirit of the Lord just ministered to me and just refreshed me it was just so refreshing the Lord wants to do that in us this morning refresh us amen Father, give us the faith to respond to you in whatever way you're calling us to this morning. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much that you love us. Meet with us in this time, in Jesus' name.